Hello, and thank you for downloading episode 46 of We Got This with Mark and Hal, recorded live this past weekend. In fact, right now, I'm sitting in a hotel lobby waiting to be picked up to go to the airport with a jacket over me so that there's not a ton of echo and you can't hear all the other people talking here. Nonetheless, this is Star Wars vs. Star Trek with Adam Savage and special surprise guest John Hodgman. It's on the internet, so I'm telling you now, he will appear during this episode. Very excited to have them both. And also, our opening act was Carter Parton Rogers. And you will see in your feed a bonus episode that is her opening act from this very same show. So now, without any further ado, please enjoy episode 46 of We Got This with Mark and Hal. Hello, I'm Hal Lublin. And I'm Mark Gagliardi. Since the dawn of humanity, one issue has gone unsettled. With the fate of the world in the balance, we're here to settle once and for all. Star Wars or Star Trek? That's right. Don't worry, everyone. We got this. Podcasts should have a theme song. Podcasts should not have a theme song. Yes, they should. No, they shouldn't. They sound good. Yeah, but people are just going to skip past it. Hmm. You know what? You're right. We got this. Sketchfest. Did not expect this. I did not either. San Francisco knows how to party. I did not. I did not even know they were here. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Uh, this is we got this with Mark and Hal. Hi, Hal. Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm really happy to be in the same room with you recording this. I know. It's very rare that usually you're in your underwear in Los Angeles. Yes. And I'm in my underwear in New York, except on the rare occasions when we're doing a video version of our uh, Skype chat. And we both put on T-shirts. And we both put on T-shirts. <laughs> so it looks like underoos. Yeah. This podcast is just a never-ending slumber party. <laughs> we should really one day do an episode from inside a fort, like inside a pillow fort. You know um, what? It's not only does that sound like fun, but it's really smart for recording because it's just a ton of baffling around the mics. Yeah. Pillow fort or blanket fort. There's our topic for the episode. Don't spoil. We can't do episodes within episodes yet. Oh, okay. My goodness. So today is best religion. Uh, Nope. 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 No matter how many times. (laughs) I know you want the answer. Did somebody just chant Catholic? Please do not even start down this road. Yeah. Uh, no, we are here today to discuss a a very heated and uh, a very uh, a very passionately debated topic. Yes, very divisive, and this has been suggested multiple times by mm-hmm. multiple people: Twitter, Facebook, email, Reddit. I think it's been suggested at least once everywhere. Yes. Do you want to? We both did like a. We both. <laughs> well, we breathed in so hard. You ready? I liked your breath better than mine. You go ahead. <laughs> You ruined it. It's Star Wars versus Star Trek. And to talk about Star Wars versus Star Trek, uh, we have uh, an expert guest. And I really do say expert. And he, boy, does he know about these universes. Yes. Uh, He has, in fact, built several replica props. He has built costumes. He is, uh, you probably know him from the television series Mythbusters. Um... Please welcome to the stage, Mr. Adam Savage. Thank you. Hi, Adam. Hello, Mark. 
So what's better? <laughs> um, no, we should set up with uh, criteria that we're going to use for yes, uh, for how we're going to determine Star Trek or Star Wars as the uh, as the superior product. Uh, and I guess, I mean, tell me what you guys think. I was thinking, Hal and I were talking on the way over here. It may be a good idea to look at it more generally, like uh, the characters being one element, story being another element, but also cultural impact being an element, merchandising being an element. Well, uh, cultural impact also has several different elements to it. There's box office receipts. Right. And then there's also the culture, like what people, how people respond to it. Right. Uh, does that seem like a fair way to look it's yeah exactly better than anything i'm just glad that we have a guest here who not only owns a working r2d2 but built captain kirk's chair yep yeah give us uh give the give the crowd and the listeners your uh your bona fides all right for Uh, this topic um, i I, so i I wanted to work on star wars when i first saw it in 77 i was uh, 10 years old uh i eventually did work on episodes one and two sorry about those (laughs) what did you do on episode what were you not don't say you're responsible for Jar Jar Binks. No, 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 uh, no. No, uh, I did models and uh, models and sets, uh, or what you'd call set extensions for episodes one and two. So that would be they'd shoot the actors with a set built up to eight feet, and we'd build the rest of that set. Gotcha. Either in miniature or uh, various props that would go in that. Uh, so on episode one, I actually built a spaceship, uh, Newt and Rune. Remember the racist characterization? You have to be more specific. <laughs> No, I don't. Fair enough. <laughs> I built their ship, the Nemoidian shuttle, uh, and I got to, I worked on with a wonderful model maker, Larry Tan, on that. And I got to uh, build it with him. Then I got to paint it, light it, rig it on set. Uh, on Very the cool. Naboo set. Uh, I built things, the exterior of Podme's apartment. I mean, there were dozens and dozens of little bits and pieces for those films. And it was really, really fun to work on them, despite the displeasure of actually watching them. <laughs> I also worked on <laughs> this is controversial. I worked on one of the best Star Trek films, which is of course Galaxy Quest. <laughs> we He's right. Galaxy Quest is a near perfect movie. I yeah. totally agree. Uh what did you do on Galaxy Quest? Um, oh man, I love that so film. So Galaxy Quest is the of all the I worked on over a dozen movies, but Galaxy Quest is by far the best movie I got to work on, which is sad because I only worked on it for 2 weeks. But in the scene in which they're pulling the ship out of the dock and they scrape against the side of the dock, I built the part they scrape into. Hey, hey! Adam Savage. (laughs) And we had very specific... There was... Occasionally you needed to answer the question to other model makers. It's a very egalitarian atmosphere um, where you trade stuff and information. And so the question came up from somebody... I'm working on Galaxy Quest, which is based on Star Trek, but I've just finished working on Star Wars, so what's the difference aesthetically? And right. We had a specific answer, which was, oh, in Star Trek, you can totally have three details in a row that are all the same. Three little bumps on the side of a ship. Boom, boom, boom. In Star Trek, in Star Wars, never. Star Wars is always two, and then there's a space where there's a like, rusty streak where one's missing, and then one. Because in Star Trek, in Star Wars, everything's falling apart. And it's been like jury rigged and stapled back together. And you have to tell, so you, three or four details in a row is, is verboten in the Star Wars universe. Now, is this only with the rebels or is this with the empire as well? Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's a good question. 
No, Thank it's you. really it's a, it's across the board. It's it, Star Wars is always like this ship was built and then we built some more on top of it and then we built a little more on top of that. Okay. And Star Trek is like, you know, here we designed it and we built it exactly like we designed it. Enjoy it. So the, the do you think that the ships from Star Trek would beat if we went full monitor Merrimack style, would a Star Wars ship beat a Star Trek ship or would a Star Trek ship beat a Star Wars ship? Um on this metric, I think it's Star Trek all the way. Okay. The Star Trek ships are incredibly powerful compared with the – and this has been covered on the web. There, there are plenty of resources you can find. But, you know, I just remember there's a Star Trek where Worf is like – they encounter some ancient ship and Worf is like, um, they're shooting lasers at us. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone kind of snickers and tightens up their shirt and goes <laughs> – I, I, I think the Star Trek people would eat Star Wars people for lunch. Okay, so that is one metric that, that we didn't even metric. mention before, is the, the technological firepower. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, those ships are huge. Like the, the Enterprise is like a city on top of a battleship that's flying through space. I think it's bigger. Like, you know, you have those shots at the beginning of the Star Wars movie. It, it almost always tracks to the underneath of uh, of a Star Destroyer or some large ship, and you get this idea of scale, especially in New Hope. The Star Destroyer keeps going and going. But that's like. And in Spaceballs, be, it keeps going even more and more and more. It keeps going and more. going, and then it's got the uh, those those great bumper stickers. Yeah. On the, but the, the Enterprise is bigger than one of those ships, right? I I'm don't think the Enterprise the is bigger than a Star Destroyer. It's than a Star Destroyer. Well then. Well then. I'm going to leave. <laughs> I remember my dad had, my dad was a big, oh, by the way, I, do Star Trek fans prefer Trekkie or Trekker? Do we know? I've never heard anyone say Trekker. I've heard, I read it online that someone uh, who was a, a big Star Trek fan was like, Trekkie is derogatory. I'm like, <laughs> derogatory? Like, it's like a, like a. It's the T word? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my God, he used the T word. In public, in mixed company. Um, well, okay, know, so Trek, so we can say Trekkie. My dad is a big Trekkie. Can we say that? Yeah. This isn't like... <laughs> oh, do we have to get bleeped? I don't know. Jesse Thorne This is like... Uh, you you told me recently you went to a Donald Trump rally. Yeah, it's I like did. A, you, so to you, you just... Ironically. <laughs> yeah. Calm down. You don't think he's going to make America great yeah. again? Because he wants to build a wall and keep all those Trekkies out of the country? We are we are uh, we are bordering dangerously close to important arguments, and this show is Swerve never about important arguments. Swerve it back. Swerve it back. To, I mean, this is arguably a very important argument: uh, Star Trek versus Star Wars. Um, all right, so let's talk about uh, let's talk about the characters in the universes, uh, in the Star Trek uh, universe versus the Star Wars universe. I, I'm going to weigh in here. I mean, Star Trek's depiction of alien life really is not nearly as varied as Star Wars. It's just green paint. It's just it's spray painting. Paint, bumps yeah. on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it, they do have a couple of amazing outliers, like the 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 <laughs> the, the the beings that are based out of flesh and they call humans ugly bags of mostly water which I think <laughs> is maybe the most poetic thing that's ever been said in a science fiction yeah. show or film. Ugly bag of mostly water. Um, but when it comes to aliens within the universes, Chewbacca wins hands down as the greatest non-human fully realized character in history. Yeah. 
Absolutely. We, that, Wookie's rule from the corner. <laughs> we did, and we got to meet his entire family uh, in the yes in the special. And I thought his, I thought that his, what's his son's name? Lumpy, Lumpy, thank you. Yeah. I thought Lumpy had a death wish. I thought Lumpy, when he like climbed up on the thing and he's walking on the, I couldn't tell if that was just a kid no, playing man. or if he was like suicidal claws. because Chewbacca yeah. wasn't home or. I, so I, I watched the Star Wars Christmas special live as it aired. Oh God. <laughs> I did. And I remember Lumpy had these big puffy cheeks. And at that time, different strokes was on television. And my sister and I couldn't help noticing a resemblance between Lumpy and Gary Coleman. <laughs> and then we had the most ludicrous argument where my sister, my two years younger than me, was like, it's amazing they cast Gary Coleman as a Wookiee. <laughs> and even at that tender age, I was like, it's makeup. No, it's makeup. That's not actually Gary Coleman. They wouldn't hire him for his cheeks. They can make whatever cheeks they want. I, f- I feel like at some point we're going to have to talk about the great stain that each property has. I think the the holiday special definitely is, if you haven't seen it, at the first, I'd say, 10 to 15 minutes uh, are Chewbacca's wife, Mala, his father, uh, Itchy, and his son, Lumpy, who are w- just talking to each other. Which, by and- the way, are all just, they're named after medical problems. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's just like some weird, like, Shields and Yarnell act with growling in and it. They're in it, right? I think they may be. There, there's, they, they, uh, there are. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just so bad. The first time I saw it, I was sitting against a wall with a headache and tears from laughing so hard. And I, but it's a lot of like, for 10 or 15 minutes. Then at a certain point, uh, Chewbacca's father essentially space masturbates to Diane Carroll. <laughs> Spacer baits. Yeah, spacer baits. You've got like Harvey Corman as a six armed cook, B. Arthur as in, in like in purple face. Yeah. Right. They're, they're all I mean, Carrie Fisher is is so high, this is at the height of her drug problem, <laughs> that each eye is looking in a different lateral direction. Like the TikTok crocodile popping out of the water. <laughs> But unlike that crocodile, we did not get warning that she was coming. Yes. By the ticking and the talking. I also remember Harrison Ford showing up as like a video phone call briefly. And yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, that's how the cool guy does it. He doesn't come for the party. He just yeah. calls in. <laughs> I, mean, I was like 11. And I was like, yeah, that sounds right. Uh, I saw this for the first time this year uh, at this holiday season because of uh, a friend of ours, Ken Plume, who has access to everything ever recorded and sent it to me. And I... Uh, and I was watching this one morning. I'm in. Uh, I'm working a show in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, with my girlfriend, and she is in the other room. And she and I'm watching the whole beginning of this thing, and it's just like all of the these Wookie noises. And she comes into the room like as well into this thing, just shaking her head, and she's like, "Honey, I've been trying to figure out what you were watching," and. Can can you turn that off? Like she was viscerally upset that I would be watching this. Uh, the best thing about it is the from, worst part was that you were masturbating. I was I was spacerbating at pre Diane Carroll. Very weird. Yeah, that's the only time it's okay. Um, the best thing about that special for me was not the special itself, but the commercials. Uh, the version I saw had all the original commercials and the news break when it's like 
Which it does take you out of that world when they're, you're watching Star, Star Wars holiday special and you're seeing all this stuff in space. And then a news break comes on and it's like, Brezhnev. And you're like, oh, right, there's a world that was happening when this came out. Um, so let's get away from the Star Wars holiday special. What did you mention? The, the great um, stain. The great stain. What great is the great stain, stain on Star Trek? I, for me, it's uh, Star Trek V, the final frontier in which they take a trip to the center of the universe to visit God or Shakari, as Spock's half brother Cybok calls it, it's it's an abomination. Are you making this whole thing up from scratch? I swear, <laughs> I wish I were. I wish I was good enough to come up with something like this. And it starts with them rock climbing in Yosemite. It's Bones and Kirk and Spock, and it's the beginning of the time you go, okay, they maybe spend too much time together. There's not. They're really trying to force a dynamic on us. Doesn't Spock show up in the gr- anti gravity boots? boots. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he saves Shatner, who's free climbing at the at the age of what I assume is ninety. We can't get an age on it. We have to like cut open one of his legs and count the rings. And he falls off the face of of the mountain, and Spock catches him with these jet boots, and then they sing "Row, row, row your boat around a fire." <laughs> that is a great stain. <laughs> A great, great stain. I haven't I seen that one. I'm going to take that. your word for it. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty... And that went into theaters. And that was the one that, that Shatner directed. Of course it was. That's why he was free climbing. Yeah. Oh, is this the one that includes, after he makes out with an alien chick, Bones goes, what is it with you? <laughs> that... I do remember that it was. it's rare when a movie character says precisely what you're thinking. <laughs> That may be points towards Star Trek. That may be... Is that Star Trek 6? I know somebody here is a big fan. Yes. Yes. Six and a prison. Um, yeah. So, while we are... country. Yes. Yes. While we are talking about the characters, we talked briefly. Star Wars wins hands down with alien characters. Yes. And the all creations. the Star Trek aliens look like they spent different amount of time with their face directly in a fire. That's <laughs> so just how bad the burns are and what stage of healing they're in. <laughs> Sorry. I the need... Ferengi were boxing at the same exactly. time. So they have... <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's talk about we. You mentioned briefly the human characters. I feel I have to also give this one to Star Wars because uh, even you just now said that they're really trying to force the relationship of uh, Bone Spock and Kirk on us in Star Trek Five. I feel like uh, the for me, I am more a fan, and, and maybe it's just a, a particularly like thing like it's just something that i like more i like luke and leia and han and chewbacca and the, not that he's a human but he's part of the team dang it humanoid. uh humanoid thank you uh, uh what do you guys think uh about the characters well there's an i think that when you're getting to this there's an important aspect which is the sense of humor and star trek does not have nearly the sense of humor that the star wars universe does uh and when i'm referring to star wars i'm referring to both films Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, now all three films. Oh. Um, and, and Star Wars taught me narrative. Hold on a second. Which one are you leaving I, out of the original trilogy? Sorry, the trilogy? I ignore the third. I ignore Jedi. Really? I, I really? Yeah, I'm not a Jedi. No fan. kidding. No, I can't deal with the Ewoks. They freak me out. <laughs> the hell with that. That is. Oh, I, I'm sur- I'm sur- I loved Return of the Jedi. It was uh, the Ewoks strike me as a line item. Like, fuck it, let's do it this way. Yeah, that's All right. yeah. And, and they eat people. They're perfectly willing to eat a human being. 
that is only just... scared by religion into not eating the heroes and then fighting with them. Let's remember that. Right, right. The bunch of murder bears in the forest <laughs> they come upon that just wind up helping them. That's like a tenuous truce at the end of that movie at best. They're just happy that they're having like Vader barbecue at the very end. But uh, Han Solo taught me narratively that you, in a movie as sort of ridiculous and silly as a big sci-fi epic, you need someone in the movie who's making fun of the movie. Yeah. And Han Solo is absolutely doing that. He's like, can you believe this That's pretty much the (laughs) translation of everything he says in all the films he's in. And there's nobody making fun of Star Trek. There's no, it is totally in earnest. And I feel like that leans me more towards Star Wars because that's, you need some. Well, humor is such a big part of humanity that humorless characters don't seem as human, even though Spock is not human, but. Yeah, I mean, look, I'll, I'll say that by and large, there's way less humor in, in the Star Trek, uh, universe with the exception of the voyage home, Star Trek four, which is basically an ensemble comedy. Where they travel it's back a fish out of water it's comedy. It's the one here yeah. in San Francisco. It's the yeah. one San Francisco. Is it time for a vernacular phrase yet, Captain? Exactly. I mean, it's it's very funny, but yeah. it, that's more like a peek into what it could have been if they had allowed it to go in that direction a little bit more, rather than that being the status quo, which it is more uh, in Star Wars. And they got some of that in Star Trek. I mean, you had um, you had uh, uh, Data's meth addicted brother, Lore. Who was always, always comic relief. Sure. There is one episode, I can't even remember what it is that gets Riker all riled up, but it might be Tasha Yar gets him kind of riled up, and as he's walking away, he's like, I'll be in the holodeck. And you're like, I know exactly what you are doing. <laughs> so on space turbation, they're equal. <laughs> yeah. Maybe better tools in Star Trek. Right. Um, all right, so let's, uh, let's talk... Let's talk it fandoms. It is hard to beat the holodeck. It is. The holodeck is... <laughs> like, okay, let's talk gadgets. Uh, right. Gadgets and tech. Uh, but I guess that's not really fair since one is science fiction and one is fantasy. The tech is very different. We've talked about the ships a little. The holodeck is amazing. Uh, but lightsabers are amazing, too. Right. So if, let's, let's say weaponry. Okay, lightsabers weaponry. Lightsabers versus phasers. Set it on stun. <laughs> I, lightsabers just win against everything. Yeah, I, not in terms of a battle. Like I don't, you know. Right. I, but lightsabers cool as cool points. Yeah. Right. And the moment I saw them, they changed my life and became a part of who I am. When you go by a Disney store and you see that build your own lightsaber thing, do you personally think cute? <laughs> no. I'm like, I totally wish I could do this without ending up on Instagram from other people's phones. <laughs> People are pointing out like he's actually drooling. I, <laughs> I think you just dive in like Scrooge McDuck, swimming in all of the pieces. I actually just I just ordered a new lightsaber. Did you really? <laughs> there's a there's a company called Vader's Vault that makes these really beautiful, super bright ones. And the, the, if you, you, it's like a menu. You can choose all these different things of like the form factor, but what the blades do. And these blades will flash when you hit them, and you can make them any color you want. So you could be a Sith one day, oh. or Mace Window, and your purple vape. Your purple. Mace Mace really won. Like, was that a Samuel Jackson thing? What is that? What happened? Like Samuel Jackson was like, I a- want a purple one. Yep. That is. 
Man, to be able to do that in the Star Wars universe, or yeah. are we going to say that those movies were in the Star Wars universe? Are we going to count those? I think they're accepted they, as canon by Disney. They are. They are both stained, however. Yes, <laughs> they are. Yeah, uh, but no caravan or uh, caravan of courage or battle for Endor. Those are not part of the canon. Battle for Endor is great. Those are two TV movies. That three people in the audience know, but one of them is very loud, so it sounds like more of you know right. it. Um, I don't look. I know a lot of people hate on the, and I'm going to get yelled at the prequels, uh, the our episodes one, two, and three. Compared to the rest of the Star Wars universe, they are subpar. As movies, I enjoyed them. I enjoyed watching them as movies. Not as a Star Wars fan did I enjoy watching them. But I enjoyed watching them as action movies. I thought the third one sucked less than the other <laughs> Booed two. Booed by one guy yes, in the movie. Yeah. Participation is fun. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that a friend of mine taught me the best way to watch the prequels, which is um, <laughs> on the DVD, choose another language oh, God. that you don't know. And then watch it with subtitles, because all shitty dialogue sounds seems better when you're going through the work to read it. Ah. And visually, actually, you can see a genuine progression. Effects folks no, can see you can see this actually. Visually, number one is a mess. It's just like they put everything into every frame. Number two and three feel a lot more like the original Ralph McQuarrie scenic paintings of what the Star Wars universe should look like. There's real balance and uh, a, a lovely design to every frame. Um, so I think visually, the second and third films are a radical improvement over the first one. And so there's, you know, they, they learned and they're, I, I agree with you. As movies, they're not horrendous. In the Star Wars universe, they're a great disappointment. A right. great disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> what, um, now you, what, what effect do you think the, the use of practical effects in the new, uh, Star Wars had on it being superior to the digital effects? I think for me watching it, and this is, uh, we, we, we've agreed to avoid spoilers for whoever is listening to this somewhere on the planet who has not seen one of the highest grossing films in the history of people. And also, but, but still chose to listen to a podcast podcast. about Star Wars versus Star Trek. I almost feel like punishing them by just reciting the entire plot, but I won't. I think, I think the practical effects help, uh, they, they, at least having some practical effects bring you closer to the film, so you're more connected to it. But, and the actors prefer it. Uh, you know, that's a straight up, you know, Ian McKellen got real tired of acting against blue non-dwarves in the Hobbit films, and I know from working at ILM that Ewan McGregor at several points lost his temper with lightsabering against things that yeah. weren't there and just in blue rooms all day long. Uh, that's hard. To, it's a lot to ask of the actors, and that veracity shows up that they're sitting in the Millennium Falcon, and BB-8 is actually rolling around. I, that you can't replace what the actors are getting from that environment. Yeah, I agree. I was I did not know that BB-8 was practical until two days ago. That blew my mind. Um, Do you live in a bunker? Yeah. <laughs> this information is available. I know you go. You on guys, the there's an internet apparently. Uh. Hal knows how to use it. I he just puts a microphone Wait, in my so face. So if Rule Thirty Four of the Internet is true, and just for those who don't know, Rule Thirty Four is that if it exists, there is pornography of it. There, there yes. is pornography of the Internet N- no. itself. The, the Rule Thirty Four of the Internet is if it exists, there is pornography of it. 
if something exists, there is pornography of that. Okay. Thing. Yep. Rule 35 is that rule 30, searching for rule 34 will get you fired. <laughs> But this means that there must be BB-8 porn out there already. Oh, as soon as the oh. teaser hit, I guarantee you <laughs> some fan fiction website went down from the number of submissions yeah. that they got. I want a blanket that holds me down and the BB-8 to yeah. roll all over me. <laughs> you could make that yourself. Just yeah. get that new BB-8 that came out. It's like a massage, right? Um, <laughs> we, is now a good time? I think sure, so. sure. Um, so we have, we have a, a bit of a surprise for you okay. and a surprise yes. for everyone here. Because uh, I would like to move on to talking about uh, culture and the cultural implications of these movies. Uh, I was, uh, before, uh, about a month and a half ago, when we had decided that this was going to be our topic, I was having breakfast with a friend of mine, and I mentioned that this was going to be the topic. And for the rest of our breakfast, it is all he wanted to talk about was the cultural implications of these movies. And at that point, I said, will you please come and surprise us as a guest in our episode and talk about this cultural implications of Star Wars and Star Trek? And he said he would love to do it. Uh, we are very happy to have uh, a surprise guest to join us on our panel. We have a chair for him and a microphone for him. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome John Hodgman. So I, first oh, of all, I, I'm I, waiting for you to just like you were a bent hose back there and it suddenly opened up. Well, I was the one booing you. Oh. <laughs> oh, good. Because, because my my feeling is, you know, the, the prequel movies. Uh, I have a, I have a, now a list of things. First of all, unfortunately, I'm not a surprise to Adam. I was going to be a surprise to Adam, but he caught me ordering French fries, which were delicious. <laughs> <laughs> and I, Thank you for playing along that it was a surprise. Yeah. I didn't realize he was coming up on stage. I oh, thought yeah. he was just well, coming out to see yeah, his no, friends. I, I, yeah, I, I was about to storm the stage, even if I wasn't asked. <laughs> Gagliardi said, as movies, they're pretty good. What are you talking about? <laughs> I, have a, I have a tendency. I mean, they, are, they, are, they are, I mean, they are a, uh, 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 an example of getting uh, what you wished for and being sad about it. <laughs> Because you know, everyone wanted to see the Jedi in their prime. It's like, no, you, no, you didn't. You, didn't. <laughs> you missed. You missed what you liked about the movies altogether. Because the movies, the the original trilogy, that's a beat up world that has a history. You don't want to see that history. Once you see that that world, all nice and shining clean, it's a different. It's a different world. But it, it's there. Those movies. George Lucas got everything he wanted as well. And this, sure, they made Darth cla- Tater. Another classic example of. Uh, don't you know? Watch what you wish for. Don't get everything you want because it's a dumb, boring movie. Do you know what I mean? No, I actually I Phantom, the Phantom Menace is one of the most poorly structured films of all time. It Agreed. Is, it is absolutely indecipherable as a, a, as a plot, and it is boring, and you don't connect with any of the characters, and you don't know what any of them want. I will say, look, I will agree with you about the Phantom Menace. But there's something that I love about, uh, about the third, uh, about episode three and just watching the, the final battle scene I enjoyed. And I, I have a tendency to love watching actors chew scenery and watching, uh, Palpatine just gobble up oh, every yeah. bit of scenery yeah. in that movie is well, a blast. I thought what Adam, I thought what Adam Savage said about t- turning off the sound and just watching the visuals with subtitles 
it's a, a fascinating idea. There's much to love in the films. There's so much uh, incredible craftspersonship per- in those in those movies in terms of the cinematography, the de- uh, the design, the the special effects, and everything else. It's there, and there are moments that are really enjoyable and fun too. And it's fun to watch it and go, "Here's everything that's wrong with that," which is <laughs> one of my my favorite things about culture. I prefer flawed things to perfect things. So, so that, in that regard, yes. But you're, if you think that's a good movie, boo. <laughs> Well, let, maybe we should talk because about... Because then, then you don't know what a good movie is. And I, and I thought I knew you. <laughs> just got real. Yeah. What? Se- second point. Oh, second geez. point. <laughs> Se- several drinks. <laughs> Do you I, need some lube? Gary, <laughs> Gary Coleman did not play <laughs> Lumpy, but it never occurred to me until I heard you guys talking about it. Someone did. <laughs> And I and I and I I wondered who did, and I took out my phone to look. But the gentleman asked me very nicely, "Put your phone away," which I absolutely respect, and I and you're absolutely right. But I don't know, and it remains a mystery even ten minutes later to me, <laughs> which is such a rare thing in the day of the internet. But it's still, and it's a mystery that haunts me because somewhere in the world, there is probably still living a man or a woman who played Chewbacca's child, and they're walking around with this knowledge every day. <laughs> But somewhat and, and, secretly, because yeah. you couldn't like, really when see. When that person goes out on a date, they have to choose whether or not they're going to reveal it. <laughs> At what point in the relationship yeah. do I have to lay yeah. this out on the table? I was lumpy. Yeah. All I imagine is getting cast. You're in the Star Wars holiday special. Right. And you're playing Chewbacca's son. And this is going to be, this is my golden ticket. I'm going to right. work forever. Yeah. I'll be able to do the, con- uh, the convention circuit didn't really exist then. But you you will never find... Any of the actors who played Chewbacca's family at any convention anywhere signing but anything. But visually obscene. Of course. Oh, yeah. With yeah. the underbite on his dad. Yes. Like that crazy, crazy jaw they put on him. They looked like illustrations from a medical journal that you, like, <laughs> slam back shut. Yeah. Back when phrenology was a thing. Well, uh, yeah, they're all deformed. Let's <laughs> and, and then point three is... <laughs> And Mark, you alluded to this. I don't even know why we're having this dumb discussion. <laughs> because they're what do you, they're not they're not comparable in any way. This this in is fact, true. this is this is the thing I was about when you talk culturally, Star Wars is an aesthetic uh, mythical journey. And so I think of Star Wars as satisfying me on an aesthetic level mm-hmm. and on a narrative level about the epic hero's journey. I think of Star Trek as a social commentary. Yeah. Exactly so. One of them is a science fiction movie, and it is not Star Wars, <laughs> because Star Wars is a fantasy film. It is a, right. a, a, a takes place a long time ago, uh, and it is entirely un. I mean, in different ways, Star Trek pretends to be concerned with science. They come up with fictional science. Star Wars doesn't care about science at all. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there is no science in that fiction. There is only mystical, moving things with your mind and wizards. Well, yeah. I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you the primary driver for settling this. One is, one is it was, that it was suggested. Two is that when it got suggested, a lot of people dug in one way or the other. Right. But the third is, especially when, Adam, when you tweeted you were doing the show, the response from a ton of people who do not get it was like, you can't decide. They're the same thing. To which I go, oh, I'll show you. We can decide anything. This <laughs> yeah. This we'll show, show can you. take that That's challenge. No, it's point. not that they're the same thing. It's that they're profoundly different yes. things with and, different missions. And, and, yes. and Star Trek Absolutely. is a very 
uh, specific uh, tradition in the, uh, excuse me, a very specific mission in the science fiction tradition of providing social commentary and speculation as to how things might get worse or better in the future if you take things to certain logical conclusions. Whereas Star Wars is profoundly, is a, is a, a, a piece of uh, nostalgia. It, it, the whole thing is, and this is why you don't want to see the prequels. You never want to see the prequels. Because the whole, the whole movie is premised on things were better in the past. Things were better before the, the Empire here. And if we work hard enough and we ha- fight the right war, we can make America great again. <laughs> Uh, and, that, and, and, and what I would, and it wasn't until I was talking with you that morning, Mark, that I realized that in fact Star Wars is a has a profoundly toxic cultural influence because nostalgia is the fuel of every terrorist movement on Earth. It's also the fuel. I mean, also help. I, mean, I would say that without Star Wars, Ronald Reagan never would have been elected. That was uh, the sentence that made me ask you to come do this. <laughs> Well, it set, I mean, it set the stage culturally for uh, basically you know, all of the, cult, the major culture movies and other culture coming out in the 70s was profoundly uh, ambiguous, skeptical, cynical, uh, certainly uh, 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 not trusting of power. And, and there had been movies that used aesthetics similar to Star Wars before that. Uh, and, you know, th- there are precursors to the universal sure. look right. of Star Wars. Right. But well, I mean... Are we going to talk about Silent Running or what? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no one knows that movie, that weird ecology space movie with with Bruce Dern and his who kills his friends it's to like save a conversation him. as a science as a science fiction. Yeah, film, exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah, but I mean, there, and there are there are robots in that in that film that are considered to be the precursor to R two D two, and it was John Dykstra who directed that movie, yeah. right? And it came out before Star Wars, right? And actually, it seems to me quite interesting that Dykstra then took what he learned on Star Wars and went and made the first big television excursion into science fiction, which was Battlestar Galactica, Yes, which then comes back around to being one of the greatest shows ever made for television, the Battlestar Galactica well, reboot. Talk, but, of, talk about the hero's journey. How, no one saw that happening. But at that point... The BSG reboot belongs much more in the Star Trek category yes. because it's that's total class it's, and social commentary. It's a- ab- absolutely, it's much more science fiction than Star Wars yeah. ever was. And and the fact is that what Star Wars did was, it, it, you know, obviously it changed um, sort of how movies were made and perceived in the culture. There was the first, you know, along with Jaws, kind of the first big blockbuster event movie and everything else. But in a larger culture, it, it reintroduced narratives where there is a very clear good side and a very clear bad side. And there was, and the and the way that you defeated it was completely religious. It had nothing to do uh, with um, bettering yourself uh, or or getting an education. Or, you know what I mean? There was never there was never a moment when they were like, "We need to sit down at the table across from the Empire no. and the rebels." You need and... to get in touch with a magical power we all have inside of ourselves, and then suddenly you will be able to kill the evil Empire. And that is a that was a, I mean that's basically the foundation. Of, uh, of of Donald Trump's campaign, right? <laughs> and in and in the so, new movie, yeah. and in the new movie, Princess Leia is Dick Cheney. She is the yeah. She is the neoconservative. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. And in the, you know what they can't say in the new movie, but it's clear is that you know the the empire. Well, not, we weren't going to talk about that. I'll okay. Just, this isn't a spoiler, but it's basically the the first order is ISIS. Yes. Right. I mean, that's what's happening. Right. 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 And, yes. and no one and no one appreciate the, the the mainstream government doesn't appreciate the threat, but the but a, a, a bunch of uh, former 
uh, uh, rebels, right? Sure. Princess Leia is the only one who gets it, and she's going to organize her own militia. It's basically and and basically occupy a wildlife refuge in Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> It's profoundly conservative, neocon conservative. I mean, in, in in the Golan Globus days, it would have been uh, uh, what, what's his name, Roundhouse Kick. You know, Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris. Like, you but I will. I want his name to now just be Roundhouse Kick. <laughs> Last name Kick, first name Roundhouse. Right. And weirdly, I thought you said Ramdas Kid. Ramdas Kid. <laughs> That's Roundhouse Kick's arch enemy. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, in in the in the eighties. This movie could have been a movie like this could have been made with Chuck Norris leading his own vigilante band of, you know, special ops because the government won't let him go and assassinate the leader that he wants to in the other. It's really, you know, it's it's rough. Star yeah. Wars world, you know, it gave us Star Wars. It became a metaphor for this boondoggle missile defense program. It gave us the evil empire, which became a metaphor for the Soviet Union, which is, you know, collapsed on its own. We didn't need to destroy its Death Star. And uh, the rebels murdered tens of thousands of stormtroopers, <laughs> which it turns out weren't fair, the, em- the Empire destroyed a planet, so yeah, you know, yeah. I guess they had it coming. But you know, it, it, I really feel, it, it, and it wasn't until we were talking that it's like this. It set the stage for the conservative revolution of the '80s that we are still dealing with the aftermath of now. That is really know. harshing the mellow. Of yeah, the, well, I know, right? Yeah. I'm really, yeah. Uh, so wait, does this okay? So culturally, Star Trek wins. <laughs> Well, no, I'm, I mean, I don't know. I don't know about that either. I mean, I think that <laughs> it's very ideological. It's an ideological idea that all well, of these and, different planets have come together. And, it's and a, specifically a leftist ideology. Yes, you very leftist. I mean? Star Trek. Yeah, Star Trek. Yeah. Except so the, can, the, but the leftist ideology that they abandoned constantly. Right. The prime directive is we can't f- with the planet. Let's f- yeah. with these people right now. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> let's f- with them. Let's f- them. Let's do everything we can. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it was just a, a several spaceships full of people going rogue. Right, yeah. yeah. It's, but I mean, I appreciate it. I mean, I, I tend to find it to be, I mean, it's optimistic, even utopian, in terms of its uh, vision of a future that will eventually uh, be tolerant of, you know, there, there's still some holdouts, but a future of tolerance for all uh, different races, creeds, and religions. And it's wonderful, but I I always found the original series to be profoundly dry for that reason. Like I couldn't get into it as a kid because kids want to have these laser penises and fight each other. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> the laser penises aren't the only thing. You can also get BB-8 to roll all over your yeah, body yeah. while you lay on the thing. That's right. right. I don't think wanting a laser penis and wanting to fight is strictly in the domain of a child. Well, no. <laughs> In fact, that set off the Reagan presidency in 1980. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, Star, Star Wars is childish. Do you know what I mean? And the reason we love it and the reason this new movie was so uh, uh, affecting is that it really puts you back into a feeling that you had when you were a child. The prequels did not do it all. And it was a mix of the practical effects and the spirit of it. And, and you know, and, and, and so, uh, but again, it's a, it's a it's culture of nostalgia, which can be lovely. But also can be dangerous because nostalgia is a myth. Nostalgia, the suggestion that things were better once um, and are terrible now, but they can get better again, is wrong on all three points. But one of my Always. favorite things in I, real life and in the galaxy. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, one of my favorite things that I, that I came across in the last year was they found some letter in Pompeii 
some some bit of writing from someone complaining about this generation of yeah, kids. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> really? Yeah. And I, I, I like bring this up with my wife when we're literally complaining about this generation of kids. And I'm like, yeah, it turns out that's a human thing that we've been doing for a millennia. Yeah, we hate kids. <laughs> because they remind us that we're dying. Yes. Great. Thanks, John. Let's talk about merchandise. <laughs> But, you know, the, the last thing I'll say on this is, and it just, you know, so the prequels were, were a misstep from the very, very beginning. They never should have been made because, truthfully, there are two problems with it. One, uh, Lucas did not, could do anything he wanted, uh, and he had no strong producer who would say, no, 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 you need to draft out this story better. You need to, you know, consolidate this. No Jar Jar Binks. No one said no to him. And at the same time, he, and paradoxically, he had his hands tied. Because to tell that story, he had to essentially invalidate the premise of Star Wars and show that things weren't better before, that the that the government was corrupt and failing, that there were Jedi's who were who were uh, who were Count Dooku'ing it up all the time and <laughs> betraying b- betraying their order. It basically it was just a reminder, like no, it wasn't it wasn't particularly good then either, and it's now it's boring to, to boot. <laughs> All right. So, um, as, <laughs> when you talk now about merchan- point. when you talk about <laughs> when you talk about merchandising, I want to go towards the costumes because right. I will say in this Star Wars wins hands down. In Star Trek, it's a uniform. There's is, no yeah. Yeah. comparing. No, there is no comparing. Um, and I recently, w- when I f- completed building the captain's chair, we did a piece on the website about it, and I went out and found the best replica of Kirk's captain's tunic. Mm-hmm. Which, if you buy it correctly, and I did, <laughs> makes you look just as kind of doughy as as the original effect on what, on. what is on, it made of? Like wetsuit material? Yeah, so it's it's like a little too kind thick. Of, yeah, it's a little too tight and a little too high. So in order to, you kind of have to do this, and it's yeah. I mean, it's perfect, but it's not. It's not like kids want to go running around dressed in those Star Trek uniforms. There's none. There's no aspiration of the of the gadgets and the props from Star Trek. And so I, look, I love tricorders and phasers sure. and stuff yeah. like that. But for those of us who grew up in the '70s, wearing a clingy polyester tunic was our everyday wear. Anyway. <laughs> America was soon to relegate that to Europe. But <laughs> I mean, costume-wise, it's way easier. I remember as a kid wanting to. I, I grew up in a part of Europe called Brookline, Massachusetts. <laughs> Uh, when, I, when I was a kid, I wanted to be Han Solo. That was my favorite character. So I'd wear a white turtleneck and put a vest over it. Guess what? I'm Han Solo now. Yeah. That's what he wore in the movie. Pants, a vest, and a white shirt. Yep. It's, I didn't have to go get like the pajama set they wore in Star Trek The Motion Picture. I did have the underoos Han Solo set, though, that was, uh, it was just, it was more, less of a costume and more just a picture of Han Solo and then more pictures of Han Solo. <laughs> And I wore those everywhere, and that was how I got toilet trained, was my mom said, if you use the potty, you can get your Han Solo underoos. I have revealed too much on this podcast. You've got to pull Han's face aside in order to use the... I shot first. (laughs) Terrible. Yeah. Podcast high five. <laughs> so, so uh, in terms of toys, I don't Duh. think I, I guess. You had, stop, I guess, yeah, like, stop. I guess, what are you even talking you can't, about? All right, <laughs> let me let me expand. What, what what favorite Star Trek toy did you have? <laughs> uh, I had a I had a pewter 
uh, model of Stop the right Enterprise. There. There, that is not there a There was a transporter that you could spin, and I had that figure would disappear. I yeah. never had that. Oh. I so wanted uh, that. I, I was an only child. Did any of you guys either. have the... <laughs> <laughs> and I can tell you, I played with them all. And that's, and that's Star Trek playset. It was those big Mego. Yeah, uh, with the, uh, the twelve-inch one-six yeah. scale. Yeah, right, exactly. And and they, it was terrible. Um, really? To- totally terrible. Did any of you guys have the uh, Christmas tree ornament? There, there. Did you have the Christmas tree ornament? There was a there was an ornament that came out. It was a transporter, and uh, you would press it, and it was Leonard Nimoy's voice, and it would go. Uh, it would it would say, Spock here, happy holidays, live long and prosper. And it was, I would press it all day as a child, just sit there by the Christmas tree pressing this thing. Now, can I just say that Leonard Nimoy is one of the greatest humans who ever lived? Yeah, and you can. The, and the, even though I found the original series to be dry and really came out only into it during the next generation, but the amount of the, ta- those, that cast was profoundly talented. Absolutely. And, and great. And, you know, William Shatner included, even. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's uh, broaden out from just merchandise, uh, which Star Wars wins hands down, to fandom in general, which I think Star Trek, I mean, there weren't really, like, Star Trek sort of set the tone for fandoms yes. of everything. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, so oh. was that, that, that sounded like the Family Feud buzzer. It did. <laughs> hundred people But we got two more. Yeah. We got two more until it throws to the other family. For those listening... Someone in the front row <clears throat> let out a very uh, cynical. <laughs> I will or no, tell suspicious. you. Suspicious. I don't know words anymore. Yeah. Sunday. What's the word I'm looking for? 20, 22 years. I moved here to San Francisco 25 years ago. Yeah, it was just 25 years ago. And there was a Star Trek convention at the, which is the huge atrium that's like 50 stories tall, the Marriott down here, downtown in San don't Francisco. Look at me. I don't live here. Hyatt. The Hyatt. They had a Star Trek convention at the Hyatt, and the Hyatt already looks like a Star Trek set. Yeah. And my buddy and I went, and we're in this hotel that looks like a Star Trek set populated with people in Star Trek uniform, and I was like, this is cool. <laughs> this is fandom done on a deep and wonderful level. That's 25 years ago. That's, yeah. that's pretty significant. Well, and, and, and I think that, that, so this may elicit another skeptical, yeah. <laughs> but there's no question that Star Trek, there were Star Trek fan clubs and conventions and cosplay long before Star Wars Decades, ever came out. Yeah, and that may be because they had terrible. There was no merchandise for it, so the merchandise was what you made for yourself and the games you played in the in the imaginary world. Why do you think that fandom grew so exponentially larger than the Star Wars fandom? People want to live in the Star Trek universe with their friends because it suggests a world where. Outsiders are allowed in. You know, it, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a tolerant world. And I remember the thing that I r- really got me. I mean, it's, for for all of its sort of leftist ideals, it's a regimented world. There's a clear chain of command. Everyone respects each other uh, in an almost militaristic way. <laughs> they stay out of each other's way. They all have their jobs to do. They do them well. They respect each other. And I remember that to me was the the, the pornography of Star Trek when I was I, <laughs> comrade I, porn. Com, comrade, like everyone. Everyone had their own clean room. <laughs> oh my god. I love this so much. They could go they could go to their to their cafeteria anytime they wanted. They could play a little game of chess in uh, three you know three level chess in the rec room and strum a weird liar or whatever. 
and there was and there was camaraderie. You know, there was esprit de corps, and it was a profoundly tolerant universe, and I loved it. And especially once you got into uh, the next generation, because you know that was I loved the 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 late 80s, early 90s wood paneling on the bridge. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. You know it's like I mean? the side of a Dodge Caravan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It looks like there should be some ferns in the corners and they're serving Bloody Marys as well, you know. And they were unflappable. How much time do we have? Six minutes. Let's meet in my ready room. Yeah. <laughs> and, and uh, like, for me, the disappointment of the show every week after week was that something happened. Like, I... <laughs> you just wanted to watch a procedural that was nothing but yeah. daily procedures? I, yeah. I, I, I was like, can't we just have one where it's a routine mission? Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, we got it. Let's head back. Cool. But, yeah. but oh, the bulls in the mission you know, is... Like, oh, because, you know, it's, it's like, oh, everyone just got their job done and there's no tension at all. So and that, you know, it was during... I was in college and there was a lot of possible. anxiety in my life. So. We could get this Star Trek fan reboot to make a Hodgman episode. Routine mission. A routine mission. Yeah. yeah. The red shirts all come back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love get space syphilis. So it, it's a, it's a, it's a, <laughs> you know, it, it's a, it's a, um, it's a fun, it, not even fun, I, I think a calming universe to be in. And conventions specifically were places where, you know, people who didn't have their own people in their hometowns because they were weirdos or nerds or whatever could go and find their people in the lobby of a hotel and they shared the same thing and they would be tolerated there and enjoyed there and they could be themselves there. No. And that and that was so they that was the world that they were trying to replicate. Star Wars, you don't want to replicate the world because it's all about one singular personal journey inward. However, I do want to point out that within Star Star Wars fandom, um, we need to address the wonderful 501st Division. Sure. Oh, yeah. Now, yeah. If you've seen, I've seen them in San Diego, and they are unbelievable. They're amazing. If you don't know about this, this is a group of people who dress up mostly as stormtroopers, but the 501st will dress as any character from the Empire. There are Vader's, Boba Fett's, Red Guards. Technically, Boba Fett wasn't a part of the Empire. He was a freelance <laughs> mercenary. <laughs> You go no, back to your clean cafeteria. <laughs> Stipulated. Um, but here's the thing. Um, the 501st spends most of their time doing uh, 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 doing fundraising and outreach. They go to hospitals. They visit kids in the hospital. Um, we've had them on Mythbusters several times. They refuse to take money for what they do. They ask you to donate to their charities. I mean, this is a... Wait, this th is they're a sending stormtroopers to children's hospitals? <laughs> <laughs> this is what I love. No, I know. The cognitive I'm dissonance is hilarious. I, uh, I know, but it just feels like it's the Empire's propaganda arm. <laughs> There is also a Rebel Legion where you uh -huh. can dress as anybody in the Rebellion as right. well. I got inducted into the 501st and I was stupidly dressed as a Chewbacca. So I guess I'm an evil Chewbacca. <laughs> I'm a turncoat <laughs> Chewbacca. There are also droid builder clubs. If you haven't oh, yeah. seen this, they make like they make uh, R2D2 and R4D4 and whatever. Other... I was among the original members of the R2D2 Builders Club. There you go. In the late nineties. Isn't it interesting? Thank you for your work. How how, <laughs> how few robots there are in the Star Trek universe? I yeah, have a hard time thinking of. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? I it's mean, a schwa. There's a schwa at the. Ro yeah. Robots were a. <laughs> A, you know, obviously a staple of science fiction for generations before Star Trek came along, but it wasn't until Data that there was a, a, a robot in the cast. 
and 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 featured race. I can't think of another robot. I'll say it the right way now. Robot. <laughs> Uh, in Star Trek, besides Data. Do you think it's because, I mean. Whereas, you know, obviously Star Feature. Wars is full of them. No. Could it be a practical thing? Like, maybe the same reason that the aliens are better in Star Wars and Star Trek is that one was on TV and they were doing it every week and it, the budgets were lower, the, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It, it, it's really expensive to put some white pancake makeup on Brent Spiner. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, like, we also had B9. We had B9 from Lost in Space. That's a That's true. robot. That was made of uh, HVAC. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, Why the, wasn't Gene Roddenberry interested in robots? The, the Enterprise is that sort is of a, a giant question. robot. It speaks right, to you. You can computer. talk to it. Yeah, yeah the, com- the ship's computer. I have one job on this ship. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest Star Trek movie of all time. <laughs> Galaxy Quest. Even in their name, Star Trek, it's a it's a voyage forward, and Star War. It's not Star War. It's perpetual war, war after war after war. Star yeah. Wars, Star Wars. Yeah, yeah you're right. Well, that was another thing we had talked about. If you you know Star Trek, Star Wars, you can reduce it down to just which do you prefer, a Trek or a war? Yeah. Well, on that, I'm going to go with the Trek, Bob. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think. I think it's clear that people want to say Trek, and some people truly feel that. But people want to say Trek, but a lot of people love wars. Yeah, sure. We have one person who loves wars yeah. in the front row. The same person who went, eh, a few minutes ago. And, and ultimately... And he, even though I feel that Star Trek has, a, has better virtues, um, it, it's also, I think, uh, uh, more boring uh, because it's so virtuous. And Star Wars, uh, even though I think it, it, it allowed Ronald Reagan to become president, uh, and maybe Donald Trump too soon. Um, oh, that's Chancellor Trump. Chancellor Trump. Yeah. Yeah. Supreme Leader Supreme, Trump. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I think it is. I think I'm, I'm going to say right now it is a more complicated piece of art, and therefore a better piece of art. Star Wars. Star Wars. If I, I were to compare, I, I, I uh, Hodgman's far more intelligent than I am, and I'm going to go with him. I, I agree that it is that it is messy. That's what I love about the two things, one missing. When I was doing detailing on the outside of a Star Wars ship, I'm telling a story about how that ship got put together, um, and I'm also telling a story that I've been wanting to participate in since I was nine years old, which is what everybody who's watching that movie and excited about how lived in those ships will do. And that is actually George Lucas's particular brilliance with Star Wars, was that everything was really beat to crap. Uh, and I know, Silent Running, he, they pay a huge debt to Silent Running and also to 2001 and uh, some other films. But Star Wars is the one that codified that, that, the messy universe that feels genuine. I'm really depressed by how few people in this room made any noise about Silent Running. No one's seen this movie, right? <laughs> Douglas Trumbull, I got it wrong. Thanks very much. <laughs> Another another special effects maestro, and that was one of the few films he directed. Sorry. Thanks, so, Wave. <laughs> so, uh, Mark, what do you say? Uh, as a fan, for me, it is, uh, and I feel like, I guess I'm a, a terrible, uh, I'm, I'm now want to make America great again. I'm going to get my red hat uh, because I also uh, am I'm going to say Star Wars. People of the world, people of the galaxy, people of the universe. <laughs> Go ahead and enjoy Spock all you want. Great guy. Love him. Captain Kirk, cool dude. But all the action's happening in a galaxy far, far away a long time ago. 
You can watch Star Trek. You can enjoy Star Trek. Dress up in your outfits and be on the Whitewater jury like that one woman from Trekkies. Totally fine. I love her. However, only one universe can be the best universe. And that universe is the Star Wars universe. And contingent upon this decision, everybody is now forced to watch the Star Wars Holiday Special once a year. (laughs) In English, no subtitles. You have to take your medicine, and you'll feel much better for it. So I don't want to hear any more of this from all of you nerds and geeks out there arguing with one another. This has been decided. Good night. Energize. Wrong one. Punch it, Chewy. Punch it. Punch it, Chewy. Punch it, Chewy. Punch it. That. So this topic is settled. There are many other topics, and we we love to hear from our listeners. Uh, please reach out to us on Twitter at We Got This Tweets, or uh, look for us on Reddit in the Maximum Fund subreddit. You will find people arguing about all this stuff. Yes, go to facebook.com forward slash we got this podcast or email us at we got this podcast.com. Tell us your favorite religion. Yes, tell favorite religion, <laughs> race, all of it. Politics, we can't wait. That'll As be the next always, we would like to thank Mike Furman and Jonathan Dinerstein for our theme song and score, respectively. Thanks, yes. guys. Uh, thank you to uh, producer Ken Plume, to researcher Kate McManus, and to graphic designer Uri Kilman. <laughs> And, uh, of course, as always, thank you to you. I can actually look at people when I say this part now, which is, makes me very happy. Thank do you, you to get you. Into your uh, underwear? Yes, I do. Uh, <laughs> it's my Han Solo underoos. Um, thank you for listening to the show. Uh, we have so much fun doing it. We have so much fun hearing from you. I don't want it to be over. Okay. <laughs> we, we just said we have lots more topics. Oh, you mean this particular episode? Yeah. We can just go to the bar and keep talking about this. Okay. Okay, good. Yes, we can. For Hal Lublin, I'm Mark Gagliardi. For Mark Gagliardi, I'm Hal Lublin. And wait, before we say it, thank you to Adam Savage, special guest. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to John Hodgman, special oh, surprise guest. Hooray for me. And you know what? Let me do this then. Do it. Uh, for Adam Savage, I'm Mark Gagliardi. And for John Hodgman, I'm Hal Lublin. And don't worry, everybody. We We got this. this. Yeah! Thank you again, everybody, and thank you to our special guests. Thank you. I'm not not leaving. (laughs) Let's talk about more things. We got this. Ty is a pedantic person. I think when he pronounces these words, it's it's in a very show-offy way. Gyro. Gyro. Sacre bleu. Sacre bleu. Ayers Rock. Uluru. (laughs) (laughs) What you are witnessing is real. The participants are not actors. They are actual litigants with real cases. They call in via Skype to Judge John Hodgman's court, the real people's court. Now I call you to judge John Hodgman's internet court. Find it at MaximumFun.org or wherever you download podcasts.
let's be honest. We live in a world with too much media. You need a podcast on the front lines figuring out what's great. We're here for you. We're Pop Rocket. I am Guy Branham. I'm a comedian. I'm Winter Mitchell. I call myself a digital strategist. <laughs> I'm Oliver Wang, academic and disc junkie. Margaret Wappler, je suis as journaliste. <laughs> and we watch, listen to, and read everything so that you don't have to. And then we tell you about all the things that you'll love to love. Find us in iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. Pop Rocket, every Wednesday from MaximumFun.org. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.